Good morning again. I'm grateful that uh, you're here. Grateful we've been able to share uh, in this time together as we've been worshiping. Uh, it, you've already heard, as Joe mentioned uh, in, in the beginning, but uh, we just want to, to begin by just saying thank you to you for your participation in what took place last week. Uh, last week was Love Your Neighbor Day, and we spent a lot of time uh, praying about that and getting ready for that, and it was just a, a, a wonderful day. And so we appreciate you being willing to participate in that. As, uh, as Joe mentioned, we had 750 of those bags prepared here. Uh, those w went out, uh, all of them, uh, that day. I think there were two bags left here Monday morning uh, by the time we got through with the, the Lord's Day here. And so uh, those were gone pretty quickly after that. But uh, we kept hearing the stories uh, from, from some of our, our people who were talking about as they were going out and distributing those bags or as they're working in, in small groups, as they're working with their Bible class and some of the little projects that were going on that particular day. One of my friends sent me a text message. Uh, it had um, a, a message that he had received from his neighbor. So his, he took his life group over uh, to spend some time with a neighbor who was, was really had been struggling with some things. And so uh, this, this individual wrote, I want to share it with you. Uh, he said, I've spoken to two others now about how the Mayfair Church is living Christianity. He said, I've never seen the exhortations of Christ in action as I did yesterday. I feel deeply and securely blessed. Uh, I don't say that so we can come here today and do a victory lap of how great we are. Okay, I hope you know that. Uh, but I, I do think it's worth noting how someone in our community responded to just an act of love and kindness and compassion given in the name of Jesus Christ. It, it was powerful. Another of our families had a really cool experience. We were hoping to show you a video of them kind of telling you this story, but the Kyle family uh, shared with us that uh, as they were leaving Sunday, uh, they, they were passing by and they, they saw an individual who looked like he was in need, so they rolled the window down and, and, and gave him one of those, those green bags, and as they were, were watching the, um, the, the individual, he kind of opened up the bag and looked, and he, he came to one of those prayer cards. I don't know if you knew this, but every one of those bags had a, a card that had been colored on by one of our, our prayer warriors in our elementary ministry or a handwritten note uh, written by one of our teens. Uh, so he pulled out the note and looked at it, and so while they're still kind of watching this from a distance, waiting at a red light, you know, he kind of looked at the card, and then he reached in there, and he grabbed the Bible. That was the first thing he pulled out of the bag. Uh, and we told you last week, every one of those bags had a Bible in it and some other things too. So he reaches for the Bible and Maggie Kyle, one of our members here, said that he took that Bible and just brought it to his chest and just embraced it, you know? And uh, I can't demonstrate enough like how, how powerful that is for us, that act of discipleship, uh, for us to just follow Jesus out into our community and do the things that he calls us to do. That, that's an act of discipleship in and of itself, let alone what God does with 750 Bibles that are distributed in our community. So, so this week, if you're looking for things to pray about, uh, can I just ask you to please be, uh, be putting that on your, your prayer list, that, that God would do more than we could possibly ask or imagine, as he says in the scriptures, with something like, like this. And in all of that, I, again, please hear me when I say we want, we want the Lord to receive all that credit and honor. Uh, but we do want to give honor where honor is due. So thank you to you for helping. And we have a team of people who helped make that possible. And they didn't, we didn't single them out last week, but David and Merlene Thomason, uh, Greg Smith, and a team of other people helped make that happen. So, uh, so we want to recognize them 
as well. Uh, I love that we're, we're not just talking about discipleship. I've been, we've been doing that. We've been talking about discipleship a lot. I love that we're not just talking about discipleship, though, that we're practice, practicing it. That we're, we're trying to, as, as Jake prayed in our prayer, to take our faith outside of these walls and to, to live that out. As we've been saying for years now, we're trying to follow Jesus by loving God and loving others. And so last week was just an opportunity for us to, in a small way, to do that. As we've been saying now for several weeks, we've been defining discipleship this way. It's about knowing Jesus, first and foremost. I mean, that's first base. But then as, as we come to know about Jesus, we enter into this trusting relationship with him, placing our faith, placing our trust in Jesus. And then that, that last piece, we, we go out into the world, we follow Jesus wherever it is that he leads us. And last week was just one opportunity for us to do just that. But on the path to discipleship, there are often distractions. I think you've experienced that. I think you know that. But as we set out to follow Jesus, inevitably there will be a lot of distractions. This past week I was reading a story from Luke's gospel. It's found in Luke chapter 10. This is how the story goes. It says, now as they went on their way, uh, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was, and right about that time, I got a, a text message from one of my children. So I, I left Luke 10 and I picked up my phone. I saw my kids were texting something. So I had to reply back to that. So I took a few minutes and shot back a reply. We went back and forth a few times. Uh, situation resolved, put the phone back down, and then I went back to, to the text. All right, so we're, we're, again, we're in Luke chapter 10. Uh, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was, and right about that time, my door opened in my office, and it was one of my ministers, one of the ministers I work with, and we, and we have this project that we're working on we needed to make a decision about. We needed to talk about exactly how we're going to go forward. Joe already mentioned the coat drive that's coming up here in a few weeks, and so we needed to kind of work out, all right, how are we going to do that? Do we, we talk about that this Sunday? And so, of course, the answer was yes, because we've already talked about it. Uh, you'll hear more details about that in a minute, but we needed to kind of hash that out because it was really pressing. We need to talk about that. So, hey, okay, coat drive, got it. It's a good thing we're going to do that. Boom. So they go back to the text again. All right, now again, we're back in, in Luke chapter 10. Now, um, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Okay, that's ringing a bell. I've read it a few times. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she, sat, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and who listened to his teaching. But Martha was, and then I got a notification about a conference call that I had to go on at 2 o'clock that afternoon. And the guy that I was talking to, it was really important that we have this conversation, and I'd set this up weeks in advance, but he, he sent me this notification. I needed to just reply and say, yes, 2 p.m. works for me, call you then, that'll be great. So I turn to the laptop, and I type out that uh, message to him, and then I go back one more time. Okay, now, as they went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was then this, distracted by much serving. Can you relate to that? The distraction part? And then the teaching goes on, and I want to finish it out here. 
Unless we need to go back and reread that first part again. Do we need to do that? And she went up to him, she being Martha. Martha, who was distracted by much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I suspect I'm not the only one who can relate to Martha's condition, being distracted. Luke uses that word. There are other words available to him uh, in his language, but he uses this particular word to talk about Martha and her situation. And it's kind of interesting because the, the word he uses means literally to be, to be drawn away. She's distracted, so she's, she's kind of led away by another thought. She's literally, it also means to, to pull apart. Language experts tell us that this same word, the, the root word for the word that Luke uses here, it's the same root word from which we get a couple of English words that I think are helpful. The English words spasm and spastic come from this same word that Luke uses here to describe Martha. Now it paints a, a fuller picture for us, doesn't it? That Martha here is in this spastic kind of frenzy. She's being pulled one direction and then another. She's being led here and there by the things that demand her attention, by the tasks that require her time and her focus. And in all of this pulling, it seems, she's lost sight of the, the one thing that Jesus says is truly necessary. Hospitality was a really big deal in the ancient world, probably more so than we understand as we go through and read the scriptures. You know, hospitality was, was kind of a big deal, so if you, if you were a host, if a, a stranger happened to be kind of passing through your, your territory, your, your area, you know, even came by your tent like, uh, like the Lord and, and, and the two divine visitors passed by the tent of Abraham in Genesis 18, well, what you're supposed to do is exactly what Abraham does. Remember that story? He goes out and he rushes out and says, please, come into my tent. Come and rest. We'll prepare food. We'll give you some shelter and some protection. It's crazy out there, so come into my home. You know, that was kind of the world that, uh, that, that we read about in the Scriptures. So you can read all about that with, with Abraham back in the Old Testament. But Martha, this is a very similar kind of situation for her. And Luke points out this detail. We read it three or four times there in the beginning that this house belongs to Martha. Did you notice that? She welcomes Jesus. She receives Jesus into her home. That's kind of interesting. There's no mention of a man in that story. No mention of a husband in that story. Not even a mention of, of her brother Lazarus. We read about him over in John's gospel, but he's not found here. No, like Luke says, this is Martha's house, and that's a really big deal. That means the hospitality, the burden of extending hospitality would have fallen to Martha here. 
And so we're, we're going to get to a point where we're going to kind of critique Martha because that's what the story sort of does, okay? Her, her attitude, she's kind of lost sight of the one thing. But before we get there, let's, let's just kind of give Martha her due, okay? Are you sympathetic to Martha at all? You, I mean, you know what it's like to be distracted? You know what it's like to be busy? Are you sympathetic to Martha? If Jesus was coming over to your house, what are you going to fix for dinner, you know? It's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, I'm sort of sympathetic. I picture Martha, she's kind of running around here to there. She's getting out the good china, you know, and apologizing for the dishes that are in the sink. And I don't know, telling uh, Simon the Zealot to make himself at home. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Martha here. She's distracted. And Luke says she's pulled apart, being led away here and there. And I, I think that's, that's a pretty understandable but the question might be this, distracted from what exactly? Clearly, she has a lot on her mind, she has a lot on her plate, but, but what is she distracted from? To be distracted is to be so preoccupied with something that you're unable to concentrate on something else. So, so my question is, what is the something else? What is it that she is unable to focus upon? And this is where we get into trouble. Being busy in and of itself is not the issue, but it's her many distractions that have taken her focus off of Jesus, and that's a problem. Mary, on the other hand, she's in stark contrast to her frenzied, distracted sister. I know there are a lot of Marys in the New Testament if you're kind of new to reading through the scriptures, you're kind of reading through and you might think, okay, it's really hard to keep track with all the Marys and the Johns and, you know, Jameses and Simons. So I know it can be a little tricky, but here's one thing that helps as, uh, as, as we think about this particular story. Uh, every time you read about this Mary, Mary from Bethany, we could call her, every time you read about her, she's doing the same thing. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's doing one thing. It's kind of interesting that Jesus points that out. He praises her for, like, the one thing that she really focuses on. And every time you see her in the Scripture, she's doing one thing. Uh, we won't look at it, but later, if you want to, you look at John 11. That's a story where you find this Mary. And she comes, and she's so consumed with grief because of the death of her brother Lazarus, she falls down at the feet of Jesus in John 11. And then in the next chapter, John tells another story where this same Mary comes and she anoints the feet of Jesus. And then she wipes off those same feet with her hair. She's at the feet of Jesus. And here it says, Luke tells us in Luke 10, that, that she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. But sitting at his feet. Well, I think we need to unpack that and explain exactly what that phrase means. Mary isn't uh, some doe-eyed little girl gazing up in uh, amazement and infatuation, gazing up at, at Jesus. And although that's kind of the way some of us might hear this particular phrase. No, no, in the, in the world of the scriptures, to sit at someone's feet means that you're a student. It means that you're a student of that particular person. That means you're subscribing to their teaching uh, over in the book of Acts, Acts 22, Paul himself is described as sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. 
It just means that Paul studied. He was educated by Gamaliel. He was, if you want to call it, he was a disciple of Gamaliel. So here we see Mary being depicted in this posture of a disciple. And that's something really significant as well. Just as it was significant that Martha has her own house, it's significant that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. Because in the ancient world, it's not the world that you and I live in today, all right? So we've got to go back in time. In the ancient world, women were largely considered unworthy of education. I'm not asking you to like that, but we do have to understand that in the ancient world, women, unless you were in the upper you know, 1%, 2%, okay? You just weren't considered worthy of, of education. And that makes this story pop a little more, doesn't it? Because here we find Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. You have Martha over here, so distracted that she overlooks the one thing. And Mary seems to get that one thing right because she is praised for her commitment as a disciple, her commitment to have her life centered upon Jesus. Being busy, again, isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is when busyness keeps us from Jesus. How distracted are you? Lane talked about it uh, a little bit ago. Years ago, researchers claimed that they had determined that the average attention span of a goldfish was about nine seconds. Now, don't ask me how they figured this out, okay? I'm guessing they found some sort of way to interview goldfish. I don't know. Don't even ask me why anyone even cared what the average, you know, Frank, I'm really wondering, what's the average attention span of a goldfish these days? You know, I don't know how that comes up. These researchers clearly need more to do, right? But uh, this has become, in the internet age, this has become one of those things that it's really hard to track down exactly how they did this, but it's become, you know, it's quoted so many times, you just sort of run with it. Okay, let's just, all right, the average attention span of a goldfish is, uh, is nine seconds, okay? Uh, here's why that's important. According to another study that was done recently, the average human attention span has now bottomed out at eight seconds, okay? Uh, and again, I have no idea if, it, if this is true or not, but for argument's sake, it just means that the average uh, goldfish can pay attention a little more readily than you and I can. I don't know if that's true, but it does seem as if we're a little more distracted these days, right? I don't want to put a number on it, but I think we're more distracted. Hey, look, you know, we could talk about distracted driving, Right? We could talk about the long-term effects of not being fully present with our loved ones, our families, our friends. We, you could even do research. You could look at this and see the impact in, in, in the group when just one person pulls out their phone and begins to start scrolling and disengages and checks out what that does to the rest of the group and the insecurity that that just breeds and everybody else starts. But you watch it next time. One person is all it takes. And then it's this you know, feeding frenzy of checking your phones, right? Well, we can talk about all of that, and that would be germane to the, just the general discussion of distraction. And that might be great for another sermon, but that's not really where I want to go. The real question I want to ask you is, is this one. What distracts you spiritually? What pulls you away and, and takes your attention off of the one thing? 
What keeps you from listening to Jesus? For Martha, again, she's so distracted and hurried that, that she's literally spastic with busyness. And maybe we can relate to that. Maybe we're so busy. We just have a hard time focusing. We have a hard time listening to Jesus because we're so busy. And Martha, these spasms are causing her so much anxiety and so much trouble. Did you notice what she does? She lashes out at her sister because of her distractions. It seems that Martha wants a church of successful people. Martha wants a church of busy people, of industrious, hardworking people, people who pull their own weight. Martha says, you know, no freeloaders, right, Jesus? Tell Mary to get to work. You know, the Lord helps those who help themselves, Martha says. <laughs> Martha wants a church full of programs. Martha wants a church with a calendar full of activities and events and thriving ministries in every demographic. Martha's church is a church of achievement. It's a church that gets stuff done. It's a church with good grades. It's a church on the cover of the Christian Chronicle. That's Martha's church. A busy church is a healthy church, Martha says while holding a clipboard asking you to take a shift on the bus ministry. Martha equates busyness with spirituality. If I was preaching this message in a different church, I don't know if I would say that, but I know that's a word for this church. Martha equates busyness with spirituality. And that's why she lashes out at Mary. She's not as busy. She's not as spiritual. Martha wants a church where you're valued for what you do. I don't know what upsets her the most, the fact that she has to do all the work or the fact that Mary has the audacity to sit at the feet of Jesus. But I don't think Jesus is interested in building the kind of church that Martha wants to build. I think Jesus knows better, right? And to equate busyness with spirituality. I mean, the whole Sabbath thing was his idea in the first place. In fact, Jesus teaches a spirituality of rest, not busyness. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not, I will give you more to do because you're only valued for what you can produce. But I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Not learn from me, for I am successful and super duper busy, by the way. But I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest. For your souls, Jesus says. And in her distracted state of anxious busyness, I wonder if Martha ever even heard those words. And I wonder if we've really heard them too.
know, I don't, I don't think Jesus is very impressed with our frenetic busyness. He isn't looking for a church with cool programs or overstuffed calendars and exhausted deacons. He isn't looking for a church of successful people either. And he never, ever, ever says that he helps people who help themselves. Jesus is interested in one thing, and that's being the center of your world. Jesus is looking for a church made up of disciples, women and men and children whose lives are centered upon him. People whose deepest desire is simply to spend time with him, sitting at his feet. And all our busyness, it might make us feel really, really important, but it only blinds us to the reality that it's all about Jesus. Sometimes we walk around here, we run around here carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders as if it all depends upon us. And it doesn't. You're not that important. And don't take it personally. Because neither am I. <laughs> this is an especially important message the week after we passed out 750 bags. Because doing is never more important than being. Jesus isn't looking for busy, successful people. He's looking for disciples who want to be near him. And that's all poor Mary brings to the table. No busyness, no programs, no PhD. No overstuffed calendars, no achievements upon which she can hang her hat. She doesn't even have a word of defense. Did you notice that? She does not say a single word in this episode. She simply wants to be at the feet of Jesus, to be his student, to be his disciple. And according to Jesus, that's the one thing that is necessary. It's the most important thing of all. Today, if you need to respond to Jesus and sit at his feet and become his disciple, I hope you will. For it is given in the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand and sing.